Hello, I'm Alex Rakeen, a barrister at Third Known Essex Chambers specialising in mental capacity law. And I'm very glad to be joined in the shed today by Dr. Elizabeth Alton. So anyone who's ever seen one of these before or heard one of these before will know I don't really like introducing the person I'm talking to. I really want them to be able to uh, bring to the table whichever parts of them they want to, to bring. So, Elizabeth, over to you. Tell, tell us a bit about yourself, please. Well, thank you very much, Alex, for inviting me into your shed. Um, so my name is Elizabeth Alton. I'm what's called a named GP for safeguarding adults, and I work for... Um, Humber and North Yorkshire Integrated Care Board. I've been a named GP for safeguarding adults for about nine years and um, I've got a really specific interest in um, adults at risk of harm who really don't have a voice um, for themselves all the time um, and so I believe that we're here today to talk about our pilot project looking at um, injuries in adults at risk of harm and um, so that's what um, I've come to talk to today and that's a project that started really with a safeguarding adult review from North Lincolnshire. And this was, um, it's, it's freely available on North Lincolnshire Safeguarding Adult Board website, it's called Adult A. And this was a gentleman who sustained some really quite significant, I mean, really significant um, bruising and injuries um, on moving into a care home. And he, he died not very long after this. So I wasn't in post when he sustained these injuries, but I was in post when the, the Safeguarding Adult Review was done. And so my remit in those cases is to go into primary care, talk to everybody in primary care who 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 dealt with adult A in whatever capacity that was um, and to you know take the terms of reference from safeguarding adult review and um and and then do a report then after that I go to the the panels and um we discuss our reports and there's an independent author there was um, a lady called um Karen Rees in this case and over a series of meetings a report is developed and and obviously that culminates in a safeguarding adult review and I think for me I the injuries were never part of the terms of reference for the safeguarding adult review and, and that to me seemed very wrong even though I agree it was a very difficult case um you know fraught with all sorts of um of issues and um, but for me it didn't seem right and it didn't seem necessarily that we were you know, achieving justice really for adult A. And that really, um, I mean, Alex will know, that really sort of lit my fire really. And so it wasn't part of the terms of reference, but a couple of the clinicians, I well, one clinician in particular who'd seen him, when I'd gone through my terms of reference questions, I said at the end, I said, so this was um, an advanced care practitioner, so they usually paramedics and so he was a really experienced and really thoughtful man I said to him so what did adult a look like and um, you know when you saw him prior to sending him into hospital and he just looked at me and said he looked like he'd been in a road traffic accident and and that really stuck with me and I just mm. felt that something had to happen really so I was lucky 
Um, my boss at the time said, well, if you think something needs doing, then you better go off and do it. And, um, you know, she gave me the backing to do that. So that was sort of the birth of our projects, really. Um, and we we had our first meeting just well, it was some February 2020, which we didn't know at that point was a very bad time to, you know, have your first meeting. And it was the last time I was in a room with people for probably over a year, really. So we gathered together everybody from all the multidisciplinary team, safeguarding teams, so the acute trust, um, community services, um, police. We had good engagement with the police. Um, adult social care and we got ourselves together and we all knew that this was a very unequal position from the position of children who have a commission service a service that's commissioned by NHS England and it's not necessarily just about the commission service you know it's about um, the lack of education the lack of research the lack of knowledge so um, our first meeting we ran it as a workshop we divided into groups, we tried to keep the groups multidisciplinary, and we really tried to brainstorm why this was so difficult. Um, so that was what we did at our, our first meeting. I mean, just pausing there, just very briefly, just so people understand, in terms of children, you talk about commission service, I mean, if unexplained injuries happen in relation to a child, just give a you know, kind of what might happen there by contrast to what might be happening in relation to unexplained injuries in relation to an adult I mean get, get, just so people have some understanding of the mismatch yeah so the mismatch is basically that if you're a child who sustains an injury and there's a thought that it's either caused um non-accidentally so somebody has done that on purpose or if neglect has contributed to it so it's not just non-accidental injuries it's, it's the whole picture of neglect as well and um, then that will get you know reported into children's social care just in the same way as an adult referral would go into adult social care but then children's social care will contact um, either um, a named doctor for children a paediatrician or the designated doctor for children and the child will be seen in a fairly prompt manner and the child will have a medical to try and ascertain you know what was the cause of the injury how serious is you know the physical health being affected by the neglect and that's a well oiled machine and they have um you know strategy meetings and it's all set up and as i say the the actual medical is is a commissioned service by by nhs england but for adults there is no such service so there is nobody commissioned no medical um doctor commissioned people seem to quite often have this view that um you know maybe gps maybe um department of medicine for the elderly consultants would have the skills necessary but that is not so because forensic training is quite separate from um normal medical treatment because obviously medical treatment is there to treat the injury it's not necessarily there to document the injury and then consider the issues surrounding the issue so to say there's a there's a well-defined pathway for children but absolutely nothing um, for adults oh, thank you that's a really sort of crisp formulation of the distinction so to go back to you know you had the workshops you were thinking how do we how do we deal with this so or at least in, in a pilot form so just sort of help us through with what the pilot looked like in terms of you know the, the work that you're wanting to do in relation to adults 
so we were basically going to try and mirror the children's service so that we were yeah. going to have people trained to document the injuries and that can be quite time consuming it can take an hour can take more um, document the injuries but it's not just the documentation it's then looking at the injury looking at what history you've got available and trying to interpret how this injury could have um, come about so that was what we were trying to achieve so really the outcome from the first workshop was that the main issue was the lack of any forensic training the lack of knowledge and if you certainly if you do an academic database search for injuries in adult risk of harm I mean basically nothing comes up so there's very little research done in the UK if you look um to America then you will find um elder abuse and they have there are some quite prominent researchers in um America who have done some academic research around injuries in adults at risk of harm but they very much tend to concentrate on the elderly and elder abuse so uh, because our def definition is is quite broad in um in england you know the care right definition and um, as i say there's very little research done at all if, if any really so so it was this lack of education so i was very lucky i um you know, got on the Google, as you do when you don't know what to do. And I found the Faculty of Forensic and Legal Medicine and I approached them and the president at the time was Professor Margaret Stark. And I said, look, you know, you've got stuff about sexual assault. You've got people in custody. You've got children. So where are your adults? Um, and she came back to me and said, yes, you know, um, you're right. We don't have adults and we don't do anything you know about adults at risk of harm so they were absolutely fantastic we had a really good collaborative um working with the faculty of forensic and legal medicine and between um professor stark and myself we and some funding from nhse we put together a course and um, because that really had to be the first thing to get somebody in the workforce upskilled so we put together a course which was two half days and it was about documentation of injuries interpretation of injuries and um, writing a report for the purpose of a section 42 so that's section 42 under the care act writing a report if you were in the position of having to go to court and um, appearing in court we had input from the police about what they would like um, as to be thinking about and what they could offer us. We had input from um, adult social care in terms of working collaboratively. And um, we also had um, somebody called Professor Alistair Burns who came and talked about taking histories from adults with dementia. So mm -hmm. if you wanted to talk to an adult with dementia and you were wanting to get a feel as to whether what they were telling you was what had actually happened to them little you know tips I mean he's very entertaining but he gave us some great tips about how you might be able to tease out um whether or not this was um you know a factual account so that was absolutely great so we put together this course and we've run it three times now and we've had um quite a lot of people come on it which has been absolutely great so that was the first stage was getting the education um, at least up and running. We have um, a mentor group, a peer mentor group that is led jointly between the Faculty of Forensic and Legal Medicine and um, I represent sort of health 
um, population. And we have that once a quarter where people can bring cases. So we are trying to carry on that education. We also have a lunch and learn, and we've had national level speakers um, talk about that. So anything forensic to do with adults at risk of harm, we've tried to include um, in our lunch and learn. So once we'd started educating people, we then had to think about policy. So we had another workshop and we, again, that had to be done virtually because we were now sort of heavily into COVID. And we looked at what people thought should be contained within a policy. So the outcome of the second workshop was really the practicalities of, of a policy and just the day-to-day -day running of how we were going to get a service running. And so, I mean, that COVID slowed us down, obviously, but we got our policy through both boards. So we're piloting in North Lincolnshire and East Riding Health and Care Partnerships. And um, so we've been running for just over a year now. Brilliant. Um, broad question, how is it going? Well, it's busier than we expected, although I think my sneaking suspicion was always going to be that there were more cases than people thought, because I think previously a lot of these cases had just not really been dealt with at all. So we yeah. we, we have been really busy. So in an average month, I probably see between eight and ten cases. I don't see everybody. And um, quite often we work from photographs. And if I don't think there's anything much, then then we don't um, see people. But but we have been really busy. We've seen, yeah, we've, we've seen about 70 cases in the year. Which I have to say, I strongly suspect is not, I mean, it's not, not necessarily just tip of iceberg, but I, I'm, I'm sure that I mean, it's undoubtedly the case. They're more out there, even in, in, in the patch yeah. that you're referring to. I mean, just to, just to give us a sense of, um, you know, broadly, I mean, demographics in particular, well, demographics, but then also the bit I suppose I'm I'm particularly interested in, I'm interested in the whole thing, the thing I'm particularly interested in is how many of those individuals have got some form of impaired decision-making capacity? So I mean, just firstly, kind of demographics, and then second, just thinking about, you know, capacity to participate or capacity to, you know, participate in, 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 in a medical examination or, or other things which might be impairing their abilities. Yeah. So in terms of our demographics, and um, I think we're really overrepresented by the care home population. And, right. and I, think, I think that we'll be missing quite a lot that happen at home because there's nobody yeah. to report. So that is a bother, but but that is a bother that we're just that, that I suspect is a national bother and that we're just gonna have to look at different ways of, of maybe looking at that. And um, does that mean it's skewing older, as it were, if it's care home population? I mean, just in terms of age. Yeah, so so in terms of age, we almost exactly match the um, NHS safeguarding statistics. So basically, you've got a slow sort of rise to about um, 65 and then sort of an exp exponential rise after 65. So that basically, yes, your risk rises with age. Um, but we have had, um, I mean, I think our youngest person has been 18 and then we've had a smattering all the way through to, to about 65, 70. And then, as I say, this exponential rise with, with the care home population. But certainly in the younger age group, we have had people with neurodiverse conditions, um, learning disability, 
um, severe mental health problems. So we have had um, quite a few younger people, but as I say, they are a much smaller proportion. But I, I was quite pleased in the sense that our statistics mirror the NHS safeguarding statistics, because I think that means we must be doing something okay, really. And in terms of capacity, and terms of sort of decision making, and very few of the individuals have had the capacity to consent to a safeguarding adult referral. So what happens in terms of the decision about whether to do the forensic medical, obviously, and um, you'd be very pleased to know that we, you know, we follow obviously the MCA. So if they've got a power of attorney, a lasting power of attorney for health and welfare, and I will speak to them before I go out and um, seek permission you know, from them. And when I go to see somebody, I always go with a social worker. Very occasionally I do it, but I always go with a social worker. And we're now on a fairly well um, sort of good pattern in that I will go and see the individual. I will do a capacity assessment as to whether I think that they've got the capacity to consent to a forensic medical. If, if they haven't got capacity to consent, I will go back to the social worker who in the interim has been talking to either carers or whoever else is available. And then we will, if a relative's not present, um, I will ring the relative and discuss in terms of best interests and the social worker and the carer and I will will do, you know, make a best interest decision and then we will go back. Um, so I think it's quite interesting, really, because something that... It is interesting, and especially having listened to Alistair Burns, that quite often if you're patient um people will give you some indication as to what actually has happened to them very few people don't give you any indication and um, so you will get a history maybe from a carer or from a relative but then you know i will always talk to the individual themselves so oh you've got a bruise you know how did that happen and i will always document what they say and it is interesting we have had a couple of cases where when you go back and think about what's happened, the, the person has actually told you exactly what's happened to them. But you get this terrible, terrible, um, oh, they're confused, you can't believe what they say, um, they've got really bad dementia. But I think if you listen quite often, you can get more history than you think. I entirely agree. Um, ironically, time is the one thing we don't have here because we try and keep this roughly to 20 minutes. But I think, I mean, there's so much to be there, so much in terms of that, the patient history telling, and also just the, the fact the person may well, very well have something to tell you rather than be written off in terms of their ability to actually give what might ultimately be material, which might have to could be used in court or in terms of a safeguard inquiry. Um, if people if people have been inspired and want to know more, um, you know, because this is you know, the fruits of a lot of very, very hard work in one area. I mean, your area, if people are inspired and want to know more about how to think about well, what could we do in our area? What what do you recommend? 
And um, well, I'm always very happy to be contacted. And um, so I'm, I'm very happy to do that. So the Faculty of Forensic and Legal Medicine, we've worked collaboratively, collaboratively and we now, there's um, an adult safeguarding area on their website, which is available to anybody. And, um, you know, even, you know, anybody can log on to their website and look at the adult safeguarding area. So there's quite a lot of resources on there. We devised a performer that you can record an examination on and that to a certain extent, I mean, I wouldn't suggest people use it if they've not had any training, but it sort of guides you through what does the social worker say? What does the carer say? What does the patient say? And um, so the pro forma really can guide you through um, what you need to be doing. But I do think um, you do need forensic training because I think that it is a specialist area and I wouldn't call myself a specialist, but I have worked quite hard. Um, you know, I've done the course. Um, I did a master's module, which you can do via Teesside University. And so I think that I'd be really happy to talk to anybody. I mean, my ultimate aim, Alex, as you know, is to get this to be a national commission service. That's what we're aiming for. But I don't think we're quite there yet because we've had our evaluation from Hull University and that was very positive. But I think we're hoping to move into the second year now and then we're hoping to gather more information about outcomes because in a way that's what everybody's going to be interested in is the so what. Um, so this next year um, we are going to try much harder in um, documenting what outcome came of the um, section 42s when I've done a report or whether anybody else has done a report, a forensic report. And I think that is, is the really important thing. And as we know, things like the legal, the, the, um, you know, in terms of the police, that always moves really slowly. So gathering outcomes in safeguarding adults is a really slow process. Mm. And, and we hope to be able to speak to relatives and um, service users. But the ethics for that is take very time consuming to get. So it, it's all quite tricky business, really. Well, um, I will put a link to the, the, the as you say, the very positive and pilot evaluation on, on, on the um, on the website or the web page associated with this, because it really is helpful just in terms of people seeing what you had to do and how you're doing it. I'll also just put a link, although we haven't really talked about it today, just really the time reasons to the Safer Care at Home review, which was published very recently, because actually what you're talking about fits so directly into the sort of work, which is the review has been recommended in terms of how we actually, well, A, just learn anything about what's happening, where people are being abused by people who are notionally caring for them, and then B, concretely what you can do, as opposed to just going, ooh, well, <laughs> stage one, we've learned anything about it, and then B, what do you then concretely do? So, Elizabeth, thank you very much indeed for your time. I really do appreciate it. No, thank you, Alex.